1: Late on Friday afternoon, when the first news bulletin of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death hit my phone, I was getting ready to mark the beginning of Rosh Shona. I found the news both sad and comforting. Comforting because of the trailblazing legacy that she left for women of all ages. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the personification of the American woman. We can do it all. Wife, mother, impactful professional who loved being a girl. Hear me roar in numbers too many to ignore. Her grit, her fortitude, her intelligence, her command of the most demanding of legal disciplines, constitutional law. She grew to icon status in her eighth decade of life, her fourth decade in the federal judiciary. In 2019, it was wondered, you know, would she actually go to the Oscars? Because the documentary about her was being, um, was up for an Oscar. And if she did, who would dress her? Now, has anybody else ever asked who would dress as Supreme Court Justice? She didn't go, but Diane Warren carried an RBG action figure at the Oscars so that she could be photographed with it on the red carpet. Now that's an icon. A couple of years ago on a business trip to Washington, I made a quick stop at the U.S. History Museum, hoping to find something in the gift shop which would underwhelm my granddaughters when I got back to California the next evening. When I found myself browsing around, I wasn't really looking for them. I just found myself browsing not a book, but a whole table of books and other memorabilia all emblazoned with images of the petite 85 year old. As I stood there, a gentleman standing next to me struck up a conversation. He had once clerked for Justice Ginsburg and was now an attorney in private practice. It had come to Washington just to keep his wife company while she attended a Gartner Group conference. And I suspect it was the GG tag on my briefcase that caused him to feel comfortable to strike up that conversation. Now, it turned out I didn't know his wife, uh, who was a Gartner analyst at the time, but we spent the next half hour as he regaled me with stories of his Ginsburg clerkship. He filled me in on some of the personal stories that are not included in the famous book about the notorious RG, RBG. She was a tough boss. She demanded excellence, but she was, he said, a good teacher as well, and a friend and a mentor to her clerks over the years. They would meet periodically at, and have clerk reunions just to spend time with her. She was funny, urbane, and yes, socially quite conservative. But still, she was able to laugh at herself at the thought that she was an icon, a celebrity in her 80s. So that half hour was a wonderful glimpse into a remarkable life, and I will always treasure that casual encounter. I thought of that conversation this past Friday afternoon. I thought about a life well-lived. And you know what? God must agree, because you see, in Jewish tradition, only the most deserving of his grace, the most righteous of people, die on Rosh Hashanah Eve. Jewish tradition calls for burial within 48 hours of a death, unless that death occurs on the Sabbath, when it is 48 to 72 hours. The burial is followed by a seven-day period of intense mourning when the immediate family is spared even the daily tasks of preparing meals or participating in any religious rituals, except for the custom of sitting Shiva, as it's called, itself. But because this justice is a national figure, there is a need for a certain period of pomp and circumstance that befits her long and distinguished career of service to this nation. A formal opportunity for the American people to pay their respects is needed and it is deserved. While She will, in fact, be, on Friday of this week, the first woman ever to lie in state in the rotunda of the United States Capitol Building. Think about that. 240 years or so of national heroes, we now have a heroine worthy of lying in state in the rotunda of the national capital. And while her two children and her several grandchildren will all be immensely proud to join with the nation in honoring Ruth Bader Ginsburg, their grief will be public and prolonged. That's hard and it's tiring. And it will postpone for them the ultimate realization of loss that every child feels when they lose their remaining parent. As people were gathering in the twilight at the Supreme Court to sing Amazing Grace or to leave flowers or just to be with others for the comfort that that fellowship brings in moments of personal and national grief, Mitch McConnell could not prevent himself from pouring gasoline and power politics on the fire on the funeral pyre. The Senate he announced would confirm a nominee to replace Ruth Bader-Ginsburg, if not before the November third election, certainly during the lame duck session of Congress. That announcement came within an hour of the justices' death. How ghoulish, how callous. At least he could have waited until the justice was laid to rest. But Connell left no time for the country to just celebrate a life well lived, to say goodbye, to take in that moment when she's lying in repose at the Supreme Court or under the dome of our national capital. No, he just could not leave us that moment. There is no moment for women of America to stop and think just how far we have come during her lifetime. And what a trailblazer, what a role model, what an enabler for the rest of us she was. How much we owe her tenacity, her skillful use of the law to demonstrate over and over again that gender is not a condition to be avoided or an excuse, a barrier to acceptance and validation, or how well she understood her own limitations. Her husband, himself a renowned tax attorney, cooked all the meals at home her children have shared because Ruth was an atrocious cook. Shortly after I sat down to dinner on Friday, I could hear my phone messages blowing up he has blown up like a bunch of jackals the entire weekend. I was besieged by text messages. Good Lord, the weekend, they're ongoing. They were there, one just blew up right now. There were messages from Act Blue and many increasingly accusatory, you have not yet responded, blah, blah, blah messages from the Trump campaign. Has it occurred to Donald? I don't owe him anything. I don't have to give him money. These text messages would lead you to believe that the fate of the Republic is at hand, hanging by a thread over the single issue of abortion. I'm with Justice Ginsburg who felt the Roe decision was rushed and should have been based on the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution rather than the conjured right to privacy not found in the Constitution. But that decision was made 20 years before she joined the court. I am also in agreement with George W. Bush, who during the 2004 presidential debates, when asked about Roe v. Wade said, quote, Roe v. Wade is settled law. Can we just move on, unquote. I'm also with Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, Roberts and Alito who have all at some point in their careers pointed to either Roe or the subsequent Casey case or both of them as being binding precedents. And binding precedent is the foundation of our constitutional legal system. So if you think that Trump and McConnell overturning yet another norm of our political life will result in abortion becoming illegal in the United States, especially in light of the Senate confirmation of a Supreme Court, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court that the Republicans set in 2016, if you think Trump and McConnell now overturning that norm is going to result in making illegal abortion illegal in the United States, Think again. They are just bringing a heap of trouble down on themselves. I'm as worried as anyone about the fate of the nation. I'm worried about Attorney General Barr attempting to use 187 federal judges appointed in the last four years to help Donald Trump manipulate the elections outcome in his favor or just to delay that outcome in hopes of making it appear less than legitimate. You know, the problem that Attorney General Barr has is that constitutionally the conduct, the way in which an election is conducted is a state responsibility. So all of these lawsuits to limit the number of locked white boxes that can be put on government properties for people to return their mail-in ballots directly without going through the postal system, all of that is just sound and fury. It's well within the rights of the states to determine how many drop boxes they want to pay for and manage. And I have a lot more confidence in those state um, folks than I do in um, the U.S. Post Office right now. I'm also worried about Attorney General when he conjures up some arbitrary power, almost at whim, to find that major American cities are in a state of anarchy. Did you? That doesn't, it's not in the Constitution. He's threatening to withhold federal funds well beyond his bailiwick, right? Threatens congressional monetary appropriations in the process. And I'm as worried as anybody about the fate of the nation when I see Trump supporters waving flags and trying to break up orderly lines of early voters in Virginia this past weekend. That's not just a violation of custom, it's a violation of law. But I'm the most worried right at this moment about the legitimacy of the Supreme Court of the United States. You see, early in-person voting began this past Friday in 10 key battleground states. So you see, the election is not imminent in 38 days. The election is already underway. Ballots had already been cast before Justice Ginsburg died. Those are valid ballots. Any nominee submitted to a vote between now and the close of the election will, in fact, be illegitimate if the polls are correct and Donald Trump loses re-election. 50% of Republicans who were polled in the past couple of days oppose a vote on a nominee before the election. Now, there are five women rumored to be on the short list. If I were one of those five women, I'd refuse the nomination under these circumstances. If Trump does not win, I can't imagine a circumstance in which this unlucky woman who chooses to accept the nomination, confirmed by senators who've been repudiated by their own constituents, could possibly present herself to the court as legitimate. Attempting to reach a final vote before November 3rd would be an unacceptable insult to the memory of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who made it to the top, who will be the first woman in U.S. history to lie in state in the capital of the U.S. Rotunda as a reward for her service to the nation. A woman who was confirmed 96 to 3, after careful review of her many years on the DC Circuit of Appeals. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not chosen as the result of some pure power political stunt that diminishes the court itself as well as the country as a whole. If Trump wins a second term, then he and what would then probably be a Republican Senate majority would have all the latitude in the world to choose anyone they saw fit. But right now, the only mental image I can come up with is as though there are a bunch of jackals feasting on the late justices chair on the Supreme Court while the hyenas stand behind them waiting their turn is a bunch of jackals who are feasting on the remains, in other words, a Senate seat, while a bunch of hyenas wait their turn. Thanks for listening to
0: Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or C-SuiteNetwork.com. That's C-SuiteNetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts,
1: visit C-SuiteRadio.com.